Today we are continuing our series looking at how encountering Jesus has the power and the opportunity to change everything in our lives. Today, um, or over the last few weeks, we've been working our way slowly through Luke chapter 5, and today we're jumping from Luke chapter 5 into Luke chapter 6, but there's a tiny bit at the end of Luke chapter 5 that we've not looked at, and so I just want to take a, mass, uh, um, a moment to, to catch us up on what we're, uh, we're missing out on. So between the passage that we're going to read in a moment and where we left off last week, Jesus is being questioned again by the religious leaders of the day about his understanding around fasting. And as he does so, Jesus uses this well-known image that many of us in the church of throwing away old wineskins and embracing the new wineskins, picking up this imagery that we've talked about over the last few weeks of Jesus bringing into being a new era to put down the old wineskins, to pick up the new and get ready for the new, good, tasty, wonderful wine that Jesus is wanting to, uh, us, us all to experience. And in today's reading, that uh, we'll read in a moment, Jesus is once again being questioned by the religious leaders, and we're going to hear two different stories that ultimately have a common theme. Was Jesus a rebellious rule breaker, or was there something more going on? Um, uh, but before we go any further, I'll pray, we'll read God's word together, and then we'll think a little bit about what God might be saying to us and uh, what it might mean for us today um, as we read this passage. But let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the love that you show for us and the way in which we see the way you love us as we look at the Bible together. And Lord, as we um, come together to look at your word now, we pray that you would be speaking, uh, that these wouldn't just be my words, they wouldn't just be us reading some words on a paper, on a piece of paper, but Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, that we might know more the wonder of who you are in our lives today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles, um, we're starting at Luke chapter 6, at verse 1, and going down to verse 11, and the words will be on the screen if you want to follow along with me as well. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he, was, he, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, 
to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at all of them and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. This morning, I wonder whether you are someone who likes to break the rules or keep the rules. I got told off this morning because as we were gathering to pray this morning, I was talking about being rule breakers and saying that if someone might, if you're a particular rule breaker, uh, then you might want to find this sermon particularly helpful. And I got told off for particularly looking at one individual whilst I accused them apparently of being a rule breaker. Um, So I apologize. Um, But if that's you today, maybe the hat fits as well. Maybe we're all rule breakers and want to try and press the rules. But there's a little bit of a rule breaker in all of us. You know, the classic, if you see a big red button and it says don't press, how many of us want to press that red button? Or if you're going around some fancy place and there's a sign that says private, keep out, is it just me who wants to go in and have a look all the more because it says private, keep out? I want to see what no one else can see, this exciting bit. Or if you could make your life just that little bit easier by breaking just this little rule over here, would you take the opportunity to make your life easier? Because the rule's really not that important if you break just that one little rule. It strikes me that we have a strange relationship with rules. Rules, when they're at their best, are there to protect and to enhance our lives. For example, I think we can all agree that the rule, do not murder, is a good rule to live by. It's one that enhances and embraces our lives, and it's a good thing that we don't have any problem with embracing that rule, hopefully. Um, Telling your kids not to play with hot boiling water or stick their fingers into plug sockets or to do both at the same time is generally a good rule because it's dangerous for them and it's there to protect them. Yet how often it can be for us to see rules as an inconvenience, to be something that hinders life and we push back at those boundaries and we struggle to keep rules that are there to enhance us to make our lives better. Those of us who are sports fans will know that rules are essential to play in any sport. Cambridge is the birthplace of the rules of football, and praise the Lord for that. Um, And football, like any game, would descend into chaos if it didn't have any rules. Football is meant to be the beautiful game. But without any rules, it very quickly would turn into a game of rugby union, and no one wants to watch that. Um, (laughs) I thought that might get you woken up this morning. I'll tell you what, I could talk about Jesus all along, but this rugby union and there's outrage. Um, Never mind. Anyway, uh, fouls wouldn't exist if if we ignored the games of football. Even the point of the game would be drawn into question. Who, what, who says that the team with the most goals wins? We should just all be kind and share the points equally between two competitive teams, uh, some might say. And let's not get started about video assistant referees. Uh, I watched Match of the Day this morning. Uh, Controversy yet again. Do they know what the rules are? Do they understand the rules? 
In our reading this morning, we drop into a little bit of a VAR debate. Uh, Jesus is walking through a field, not playing football, but with his disciples, and uh, some of his disciples decide to pick some grain and eat it. And all of a sudden, people start to question whether Jesus is playing by the rules or not. VAR gets involved, and we get a sight uh, in this reading, get a seat to watch the drama unfold. So it all starts on the Sabbath. And throughout the Bible, Sabbath is a key part of the identity of God's people. For the religious leaders, the the idea of the day of observing the Sabbath was a big deal, and understandably so. It all starts back, right back in Genesis at the start of creation. We're told God created the world in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. And we're made in the image of God. So therefore, the idea is that if God rested, so should we. Then it goes and gets taken further in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, God commands his people to do this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's clear as we read the Bible, that this idea of Sabbath is a really important scriptural um, thing to hold on to. But, but it was important to God, and it's important for us for a reason. The intention behind the Sabbath was that it provides an opportunity for people to connect with God. Sabbath, understood well, is about creating time and space to know and to delight in God. To know and to delight in God. That phrase, delight in God, was one that really struck me as I was preparing this message. Do we today take the time to know and delight in God? Or does life just run away with us? This is not about a legalistic rule. It's about a relationship. It's about being uplifted and inspired. Sabbath is not about a moment of disconnection, cutting off from everything else. It's a moment of the greatest possible connection, connecting with God and delighting in who he is. In a world that is so fragrantly 24-7, in a world where busyness is the new normal, surely we could re- benefit from re-establishing a rule of Sabbath, developing time and space to delight in God, to remove the distractions that can so easily draw us away from him and once again be lost in wonder as we delight in God. So the Sabbath was a time to delight in God. But as Jesus wanders around his field, the atmosphere changes and becomes quite tense quite quickly. As they're walking around, enjoying their nice Sabbath walk, seeing the vistas of the beautiful fields and delighting in God's presence, some of the disciples pick some grain and eat them. And at this point, the VAR review starts. Had Jesus broken the rules? Clearly, the religious leaders thought that that Jesus and his followers had done something wrong, 
But just like a good old classic VAR review, this is a question of interpretation. In Deuteronomy 23, verse 25, it actually says that it is permitted within the law to go into your neighbor's field, pick grain, and to eat on the Sabbath. But if you were to do so and for it to be considered work, then it wasn't allowed. Now, personally, I'd like to trust Jesus' interpretation of the law. I think that's a pretty good place to start. Um, I am a preacher after all. But let's just say, at worst, this is a grey area. Uh, Just like a handball decision in football, no one quite knows what it means anymore. It's a grey area. Is it in an unnatural position? Who knows? But the Pharisees... Were, uh, that Jesus is being confronted with in this passage were people who generally had quite a narrow understanding of what people could or couldn't do as work. So they were much more inclined to think that, pe- that Jesus and his followers were people would have overstepped the mark rather than thinking, oh yeah, it's okay, they can, they're allowed to do that. They were much more strict on what became classified as work. So the issue of who was right and who was wrong here is set up. You can't really, there's a a matter for debate, but the issue of who is right and wrong isn't really the central issue in this passage. Just like VAR was meant to clear up all the contentious issues in a football game, the law that God had given to his people was able to be interpreted differently. If I was to throw several Bible verses to all of us here in different places, I'm sure you could all give me a different interpretation of it. Still using the same Bible passages, just interpreted differently. According to the religious leaders, the Sabbath, the space of us to delight in God, was no longer being used as a space to delight in God. Instead, some men who were walking through a field and had a pick of a crop and add a little bit of a munch on it as they were walking around a field, were being judged for doing so. And then as we hear in the next story, a man with a shriveled hand was prevented from knowing healing, wholeness and delight in God just because he happened to meet with Jesus on the Sabbath in the synagogue. The point is this, the law which was meant to enable people to delight in God, the time of Sabbath, which was a time to delight in God, was instead in danger of being misinterpreted and reworked so that it was a time where it trapped people in misery rather than releasing them into delight, in, order, in stopping them from embracing the life in all its fullness that Jesus longs to give. As Jesus says to the religious leaders in, Luke, in verse 9, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Jesus came to change the world, but he wasn't coming to tear up and throw away the rule book. He, came, he wanted to bring God's people back to their roots. He wanted to bring them back to delight in God and to delight in his ways. Jesus observed the law, or the same law as the Pharisees. In fact, he goes even further than it. And in uh, John's gospel, he says to his disciples, I give you a new commandment to love one another as I have loved you. It's by this that you will know 
that they will know that, I, that you are my disciples. Jesus wants us to delight in God, but he also wants us to delight in his ways. And his way is the way of love because he is the God who is love. What was the loving thing to do in both of these scenarios? Was it the loving thing to help the man with the shriveled hand or not? Friends, in in churches throughout history, we have been very, very, very good at setting some very, very good and sometimes very, very questionable rules. Sometimes the rules can be really good. They can be really helpful. They give us a framework that enable us to delight in God and who he is. But let's be clear, but rules can also become really questionable when they prevent us from delighting in God and delighting in his ways. When they prevent us from loving those around us. Now let me just be clear for a moment because it's very easy for this to be misinterpreted, especially in the current day. Rules and good doctrine are really good and really important. We can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But where might our interpretation of the rules sometimes come at the cost of love? Where might we judge rather than being loving and gracious? Where might we exclude rather than welcoming with love? Where might we prevent people from knowing healing and wholeness because it doesn't fit with our rule book? Where our rules differ, how do we continue to delight in, one, in love together, recognizing that we see things differently, but loving all the same. It can be easy to get dragged down into arguments of interpretation, just like we find in this passage. But let's never let the rules distract us from our primary focus. Our primary focus is to delight in God and to delight in his ways, to delight in love. Our church values, our two core central values, keeping Jesus central and loving people. What is it? It's delighting in God, delighting in his ways. As a church, this is what we are called to do, to love Jesus, put him at the center of everything, and then to reveal his love to those around us, both within the church and those outside the church too. In verses four and five, Jesus continues his response with the religious leaders of the day and uh, makes this unusual response where they're getting into this argument about who's right, who's wrong. Jesus does what Jesus always did, often or often did, and didn't give a direct answer. He asked another, he told another story. And today uh, in our passage, he tells this story about King David. And uh, if you want to read a little bit more about this story, you can find it in 1 Samuel 21. Uh, But David and his men ultimately ended up breaking the rules and eating some bread that was only allowed to be eaten by the priests. But here's the, the tangent that isn't deliberately clear in this passage. The religious leaders didn't have a problem with David breaking the rules on this occasion. They were quite okay with it. So the question has to be, why was it okay for David to break the rules in this circumstance? And the reason was that David was allowed to break the law and bend and and twist the law because he was the anointed king of Israel. 
And because of this, he had the authority from heaven and from earth to be able to see and create the law as he saw fit. And this makes sense. As king, David had the authority to be able to change the rules as was appropriate to be the the chief um, authority on what was good and what was right. But this is why Jesus doesn't get dragged into an argument about who was right and who was wrong and instead starts to talk about King David. Because Jesus is ultimately making a bigger point about who he is to the religious leaders. David had the authority of heaven and earth to be able to bend and change the rules. But here's the thing. Jesus was even greater than David. David, Jesus might have come as a son of David, but he is the son of God. And he says, of, as he says of himself in verse 5, the son of man, the son of God is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is effectively welcoming people into a new era that he alone has the power and the authority to do so. He isn't the rule breaker, but instead he's actually the rule maker. He is the giver of life. He calls people to live in a way that gives life and life in all its fullness. Jesus speaks and stars are formed. Mountains are moved. Lives are transformed. He alone has the authority to change all things he isn't under the law but the author and definer of the law jesus has authority to change all things the old wineskins are making way for the new wineskins that we can all delight in the new wine that jesus is revealing yet there's an irony in this passage jesus is the rule maker the great one with all authority over all things, and yet here he is by a group of uh, humble men stood on the sidelines of a field telling him what he can and can't do. And let's just picture that for a moment and learn the lesson that it teaches to us all and especially some of us in in, in the church today. Have you ever been tempted to think that you know better than God? Have you ever become so set in your ways that even if God were trying to lead you out of it and show you something different, you go, no, that's not what I want to stand for. God, this is where I am. I know better. Have you judged others for not keeping up with your standards only to find out that it was your standards that actually needed to change in the, after all. Who has the authority in your life? Who's the one who's in control? Who's the one who sets the moral code, the moral compass of your life? Of the decisions that we make on a daily basis, of the change that we long to see in our world and in our lives and in all that surrounds us. Jesus isn't the rule breaker, he's the rule maker. He alone has the authority to change the law, he just wants us to continue to delight in him for who he is and the authority that he has. The end of this passage is a pivotal moment. Up until this point in Luke's gospel, every time Jesus has done something amazing, people have been amazed. 
They've gone, oh, wow, isn't Jesus wonderful? You hear stories of people praising and wonderful. It's a great passage for any preacher to say on because everyone celebrates Jesus. But at this moment, the passage changes. As the man with the shriveled hand is healed, the reaction is quite different. Instead of celebrating with awe and wonder as a life is transformed before their eyes and a man is healed and restored, we're told that the religious leaders start to fume. They became furious. They couldn't get their head around it. And instead of praising in the midst of what God was doing, they were left furious instead. Now, let me just unpack that word furious a little bit, because furious is a fairly strong word, you know. I'm fuming today. Uh, but the, the word that's translated furious can actually also be translated mindless rage. These guys weren't just cross, they were like nuclear, as we used to say about my dad when he was really cross. You know, everyone's had a dad who's gone nuclear at one point, I'm sure. Uh, this was a mindless rage. No longer were they thinking rationally. They'd lost all sense of reason, all sense of logic to see Jesus for who he was, and their anger just burned. Amidst all the change, they failed to see what was right before their eyes. They failed to see and appreciate the new era that God was calling them into. They failed to see the wonder of who Jesus is. Does anyone else sometimes just think, what, 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 wouldn't it have been amazing to walk around and see Jesus? These guys had the opportunity to do it, and they just got cross. Um, what would we be like in that situation? I don't know. But instead of praising, instead of delighting in what Jesus was doing, these guys started to plot and to think, how can we extinguish that? Because we don't want any of that over here. Let's always be cautious. Hear the warning of this passage that we never close our minds to Jesus. Jesus will stretch us. Jesus will provoke us. He will challenge us into thinking things that we've never previously thought before. If we think we can understand God in his entirety, we're deluded. God is far bigger and greater than my little mind can ever conceive. And I love you all dearly, but he's far bigger and greater than your minds too. And there's some pretty smart people in this room as well. As Paul reminds us what, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Our job is simply to understand him the best we can, to delight in him, to praise him as we delight in him for the little that we get to glimpse and understand of him. Jesus changes everything, but he does so that we might delight in him. He is the rule maker. He has authority over all things. He is beyond our understanding, but in his authority, in all that he is, he is good and he is worthy of all our praise. So may we always open our minds and open our hearts and never cease to praise him, even when our understanding is being stretched and challenged, for he is worthy of our praise and just simply invites us to delight in who he is.
Let's pray together. Lord God, this morning I was thinking about this passage and the the song, Knowing You, Jesus. Knowing you, there is no greater thing came to my mind. And Lord God, this morning we want to affirm that, to delight in that truth, that Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. Lord God, we pray that we might be people who delight in you and who delight in your way. Lord, help us to create the space and the time to not get caught up in just the busyness of our world, but to make that space to connect with you and to delight in who you are. Jesus, we delight in you. We delight in your ways. Would you help us to love one another and to love those around us just as you have loved us, that through our love people might know that we are your disciples. And as we love, as we, like, as we delight in who you are, we pray, Lord, that we would never cease to praise and be amazed and stand in wonder of the wonderful, awesome God that we serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.